ATG Radio, yeah, uh, the greatest boxing podcast, woo, featuring the crew, you know how we do, yeah, Mike Dawson, Big Time Timmy, Rufus D, Hollywood, Coach Andre, and the Godfather Frank, yeah, that's the crew, so come and get in the loop, so tune in and see just how we do, it's every Monday and every Wednesday, ATG Radio. Yeah. Welcome to ATG Radio, the April edition. First, first uh, show in April, four four twenty eighteen. Man, we had some. You had your host Mike Doss, you know Rufus Deppabow. I think calling in right now. Welcome, Rufus. What a weekend we had. What big news we had. You know, just a couple days back. Big weekend of boxing coming up. Just a lot of about the game to talk about, man. How's everything going with you? Oh, everything's been going good. Uh, on my end of things, Michael Doss, I'm glad to hear that you're doing good yourself. Hey, just uh, had a little break, a little spring break, ready to kick things back off. we got to start, you know, at the top, at the heavyweight division. Anthony Joshua, you know, 12-round uh, decision, first time in his career. Had a tough nut to crack in there in, uh, in the U.K., but he, he got through it. What are your thoughts about that? Do you see uh, do you see anybody uh, you know basically competing with Anthony Joshua now since he has three belts around his waist? Well, it went as I predicted that it would be a tough contest going the whole 12 rounds, kind of like Joe Lewis and Tommy Farr. Um, a lot of people are blaming the referee for that, not letting them really engage. But I'm going to bypass that and just say that Joseph Parker, in and of himself, is a tough nut to crack. He's got the speed of a cruiserweight. That's going to always be problematic for big men like Anthony Joshua. He did what he had to do. And power shots at the end of the day in the heavyweight division reigned supreme, and he threw more of them. And quite frankly, he was, you know, fighting in, uh, you know, England, you know. And you're not going to always uh, get the uh, most fair shake uh, fighting uh, national pride, you know, so to speak. But uh, um, I would say to a degree the Superman stigma around Joshua has taken a hit um, where most people were kind of surprised because people had written off Joseph Parker so badly in this fight, they said Rocky Balboa had a greater chance against <laughs> Anthony Joshua than Joseph Parker did. But, um, yeah, um but they didn't say Spider Rico had a better chance, though. So well, yeah, <laughs> but, um, he, uh, you have a lot of people now saying that they think Deontay Wilder can beat Joshua. You have Gerald Miller and a bunch of these other people throwing their hands in the ring. Um, you have an awful lot of people who are very critical of Tyson Fury saying, well, this fight demonstrates Fury could, you know, um, beat Joshua relatively easy. Um, I think those are things easier said than done. Um, because even though it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world and it did show his limitations, he also showed he was the boss 
for all intents and purposes primarily throughout the contest. I only think Parker only had one or two rounds in there that were definitely his. The other ones, you know, were either all Joshua or they were even. So, you know, uh, at the end of the day, I think he's going to be the man and uh, nobody's going to really touch him for quite a while. Well, you know, you mentioned Joe Lewis. And, you know, Joe Lewis, you know, he had his haters back in the day. A lot of people don't even realize that. A lot of the mainstream fans, now the people that follow the, the game, like myself, you, of course, you know, our mm-hmm. upcoming uh, host, Andre Rozier, could chime in on that as well when he comes on. Um, you know, he had a massive amount of haters. I mean, they were, you know, if, if you ever remember the Bum of the Month Club, you know, that's mm-hmm. what they were comparing. They were comparing every, you know, guy that he fought as a bum. These guys were so hard on Joe Lewis. And I'll tell you right now, uh, Joseph Parker was definitely not a, a, a bum, not a, a member of the Bum of the Month Club. Um, this guy was a champion for a reason. He did have some good wins. But, you know, it was obvious that Anthony Joshua was the better fighter that night. And the main reason, when you said the power shots, the jab. He really controlled the fight, and it's amazing that a guy that's never went 12 rounds before, you never went the decision, 20, 20 fights, all knockouts, can can basically cruise the last three or four rounds with the jab and, and adapt and win the well, fight. Well, that's, that's, that's a very underrated aspect of Anthony Joshua that people ever talk about. They want to always talk about his power. But even in his early fights, he for a man who's six four, six five, two hundred and forty some odd pounds, he has very good hand speed. Especially for a man that muscular. Um and he really controlled the pace and the tempo with that jab. You know, and I think a lot of it is the fact that what few power shots, you know, got in there, Joseph Parker possibly gave uh you know anthony joshua a bit too much respect in there and that made all the difference in the world well both guys were respecting each other's power that was obvious and i think that even joshua got he got licked a little bit he got he got hurt you know briefly and you know the ref was atrocious i mean everybody was saying i'm gonna jump on that bandwagon he was horrible um it that right there was shades of Gerald McClellan versus Nigel Benn. You know, Nigel Benn got knocked out of the ring in the first round. There was a lot of communication problems. You know, Gerald McClellan, you know, got headbutted. He, you know, he was getting hit. He, he started blinking, blinking a lot. Uh, you know, I think he was trying to say, you know, the, the guy didn't speak English. The ref in the Nigel Benn, Gerald McClellan fight in England was, I think he was an Italian. I think he was from Italy, I believe. It's been so long back. But he did not speak English. It come out. That Anthony or that uh, Joseph Parker announced that you know this guy didn't speak English either, and you could kind of tell, you know, he was trying to control the fight without communication, and he was taken over, but he was not communicating with the guys at all. And why do they do that? I, I don't understand. You've got two English-speaking fighters, and you have a ref that doesn't speak a lick of English. That is horrible for the game. You think the U.K. would have learned by Nigel Benn and Jerome McClellan that, that far back. You have to have communication when you have two guys taking punches in the ring. You know, you can't just read their body language. You've got to, you've got to understand their real language. And it's a sad situation that well, you a know, title I think fight in, with um, three belts has a guy that doesn't speak, you know, the fighter's language. 
Well, I think there's another aspect to kind of consider, too, um, considering that this bout had so much weight to it symbolically, being essentially, for all intents and purposes, the unified championship of the world, um, minus the WBC belt. Um, you got to understand, referees are human beings, too, who can be swayed. And I don't know how many big fights the man's operated in. Five title fights. But... But that a fight of that magnitude with that many people watching and whole arena filled up, you know, that can sway people and make them maybe overreact, you know, or sometimes you get the opposite effect where they just, just stand in there and watch the fight along with the fans. Um, in this case, we had a, a man who was too overly active in that ring. But as I said even if he wasn't, I don't think it would have changed the outcome of the fight really in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, it was just too obvious uh, who was the boss in there. Not taking anything away from Joseph Parker. He's a really good man. He is, I would still say now, he's still the third best heavyweight in the world. And... um you can't take that away from him, belt or no belt. I, I have to agree with you on that. Um, you know, there's a possibility he could be a little bit higher. Uh, I don't. I think he's right where he. You know, I think third best, you know, fourth best possibly. You know, you got uh, you know, Wilder. I think right now could be better. I mean, we don't know. I mean, you know, Luis Ortiz that proved it a lot. You know, to in a sense. But given the fact that Ortiz, everybody says, yeah, this guy is an older fighter, definitely. Uh, a lot of inactivity before. Uh, a lot of, you know, things played his career. You know, Joseph Parker's mm-hmm. a young, you know, a, a young buck. You know, he's a young, athletic, aggressive type guy. And, uh, you know, it, it, it could be a toss-up. Right now I do I, I do list Wilder and Tyson Fury above Joseph Parker. And that's just because he lost to the champion right now, and uh, you know, and Anthony Joshua. That's the only reason. It's not that I'm hating on. I mean, you know, I'm not hating on Water. Of course, I I hold him in higher esteem right now because he's undefeated, and he is a champion. So that right there merits, in my opinion, you know, being a step above because he has a belt around his waist that Joseph Parker no longer has. Um, mm-hmm. Do I? Who do I like in that fight? I, I would love to see Joseph Parker fight, you know, Deontay Water. I would love to see that fight. And that means that we probably have to, you know, want to get Tyson Fury versus, uh, you know, Tyson Fury versus uh, you know, Anthony Joshua. That's the fight that I want to see. I, that is the fight so everybody in the UK. the fight that everybody wants to see. And from what I understand, earlier today, Eddie Hearn already is in talks with Deontay Wilder to fight Anthony Joshua. So they're really steamrolling this whole unification process at um, a phenomenal rate that I haven't seen since the 1980s when Tyson was unifying all the titles. So we're probably going to see that happen in 2019, I would suppose. Before I was saying 2020, but at the rate they're going, we're going to see that by 2019. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. I mean, there's no way in hell that Dyson Fury is going to jump to Anthony Joshua right now. It would be a, a complete disaster. You know, it would not be fair to him. Um, you know, 
I, w- I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind seeing it. Apparently, Eddie Hearn is getting paperwork ready or starting to negotiate a possibility of the Wilder, you know, Joshua fight. I don't feel that fight's going to happen because right now he's talking. He's not down to earth yet, in my opinion, about the venue. I think they're still going, you know, for for United States as a venue. And Anthony Joshua clearly said that he's not going to fight. And I, to be honest with you, I have to agree. If you're filling eighty thousand asses in seats, why are you going to go fill, you know, eighteen? In an arena, mm-hmm. it doesn't make no, that's any kind sense. Of the, that's kind of the problem with him is that you want to come to America because, you know, America essentially is where insane amount of money is. Not to say that he isn't already making bukus of money now, but at the same time, there's that prestige that is not there um, if he would come here to America. Because there quite frankly, we don't we don't have the the enormous stadiums that they have over there that he can fill easily. You know, they sell out tickets in like two three days over there. If well, even look at that. Hamed. Nassim Hamed back in the the nineties when he when he came to America, came to New York City, you know, fought Kevin Kelly. You know, it was huge. It was a, it was a big event. You know, and and he he had to go there. Because he was a WBO champion, there was a lot more trinkets, you know, a lot more champions, a lot deeper. You know, it was a very deep division. You know, he had to come to the states because there was more name guys there, and he did, and he he was very successful. You know, but Anthony Joshua has three belts around his waist already. Pretty much has mm-hmm. beaten eighty, ninety percent of the of the division already on top in on top fighter standards. There's no reason, really, in my opinion, for him to go. Because he no. established himself as the man in his own, you know, in his own country, and Prince Nassim did not, and that's why he had to go over there. I don't feel that Deontay Wilder is the kind of guy that he should have to go all the way for when he has one belt and Anthony has three. I think it's time for you know Deontay Wilder to step up. He, you know, he stepped up with Vivekian. Unfortunately, you know, he, he he signed everything. He went over there. Unfortunately, it went the wrong way. You know, due to the, the, the steroids and all that mess with Pavekian, but I don't feel that you know Deontay Wilder really doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to negotiations in the United States. The money is in the UK right now because he has three belts, and it, it, the proof is in the pudding. You know, Prince Nassim wasn't filling eighty thousand people. Anthony Joshua mm-hmm. is. He established himself as the top dog financially, belt wise. And possibly skill wise, would have to see, but it's really up to Deontay Wilder to go to the champion. And I, right now, if you hold three belts and another guy's got one, in today's standards, given the fact you know who he's fought, I consider Anthony Joshua the champion. And I feel that if Deontay Wilder wants that credit, he needs to go get it. That's just how I feel about it. No, I, I have to agree, and I think that's partially the reason why. We're seeing Deontay Wilder be so controversial in the post aftermath of his fight with Luis Ortiz, saying "I want a body on my record" and different other things like that, because he knows that with Anthony Joshua, you have a very beloved guy who's pretty much Clark Kent and Superman all rolled into one in the public's eye. So he's got to sell himself as being like the antithesis of evil, you know, to kind of bring up his stock a bit. Because for all intents and purposes, like you said, um, in terms of negotiations, he has no leg to stand on. He can't sell out stadiums here in America. Um, There is no real um, 
prestige to fighting to in America like it was in the 80s and 90s anymore. It's it's all Europe these days. Well, I wouldn't say you know, all Europe. I mean, in the heavyweight division, of course. You know, you had a Riddick Bowe, you had a Vander Holyfield, you had Mike Tyson, you had Lennox Lewis who had to come over. You know, and he still has some quite a bit of success in, in the U.K., but, you know, he mainly was, you know, uh, an American fighter at that time because that's where all the, you know, the champions were. Now we don't have that. You know, now we got a lot of different Europeans out there. you got name guys, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, you know, even Joseph Parker being from New Zealand. You know, the, the champions were are a lot more mixed up, you know, a lot more, you know, international now. And it's, it's based with the landscape of the division is not based in the United States. It can be unfortunate if you're an American fight fan, but that's just the way it is now. And, uh, you know, it's up to Deontay Wilder to shake it up. If, if he wants to establish the United States as a, a mecca, again, for heavyweight boxing, he has to go take the belts away from If he's so confident. No, he, he needs to have um, that Tyson Fury moment where Fury went over to Germany exactly. and lifted the belt and everything else. Because, quite frankly, yes, he's been champion for longer than Joshua, but quite frankly, you know, I got to agree with Eddie Hearn, and it's the only time I'm really going to shit on Wilder in any way, shape, or form, but the man doesn't know how to sell himself in the right way, whereas Eddie Hearn knows how. You know, it was like Eddie Hearn saying he should have been there in the front row for the Joseph Parker, you know, Anthony Joshua fight, you know, stirring shit. But he didn't, you know. So. During the time that that Anthony Joshua was picking up another belt, Deontay Wilder was back in the States talking about how he wouldn't mind killing a man in the ring. That's the difference. You know, Deontay Wilder needs to be more of a personable champion. You know, he can do it. He's he, He's got a good personality. I've seen it. You know, but doing this kind of stuff and kind of getting the bad spotlight on you is not going to help your case any. You know, a lot of the people. No, but like, they, like I said, you know, I don't think he can quite convince people. You know that he's the guy. He knows he's the underdog coming into the fight, at least appearance-wise, because like I said, they have done a tremendous job with Anthony Joshua, making him look like Superman, even though. Joseph Parker kind of took away that aura of invincibility from him this past weekend. I think weekend. because of that, this fight will end up being a pick 'em. If the fight actually happens, oh, yeah. even though it's in the UK, it will be a pick 'em. I do not see an, uh, an underdog. I don't see a favorite in this fight whatsoever on the on the betting you know books. I don't see it. I think it will definitely be fifty fifty. Oh yeah, without question, and and that's the reason why he's being the bad guy, as far as I'm concerned, because. Even though I think it was absolutely atrocious to say what he did, I understand it from a business standpoint that if you can't make people love you, you might as well make them hate you. And uh, it would be like George Foreman and Ali in a way. And that's kind of the shades that I'm seeing. Is, or like Tyson and Holyfield where he had the, you know, the humble, you know, all day, 24-7 against like the street guy. You know, and that's what we're going to see in the build-up to everything. Maybe um, we'll see it. Hopefully, we'll see it. I, I, I think so, but um, I, I think he, Deontay Wilder is really going to have to humble himself a bit 
because and I understand the frustration. I really do because you're a champion and you're like, well, why do I got to take such a huge pay cut, you know, and everything else. But if he's going to prove that he's the best and everything, unfortunately he's going to have to, you know, there's no other money that can be generated, you know, fighting in Brooklyn or fighting in Alabama that you can generate in the UK against Anthony Joshua. But then again, he's got a figure that even with the big pay cut, it's going to be two or three times bigger than any opponent that he can have on his own here in America without question. So what's there to really bitch about? Well, speaking of pay cuts, a certain fighter this weekend, or this week actually, has took a pay cut in the middleweight division. I give you Canelo Alvarez taking, you know, a major pay cut Turning down a fight, or, or, or basically, you know, stepping down from the fight, May fifth against Triple G. Uh, I've seen it happening. I know you did. What are your thoughts about this? Is he going to recover from this ruse? Well, I said it a few weeks ago. The moment he got popped, that no matter what he does from here on out, his legacy is essentially tarnished. Um, hey, stop! There that. you go. There Stop you go. With the, doing that. There you go. But um, I think one of the most bizarre things I heard today, you know, was uh, him going on saying Golovkin's afraid to fight me and everything else. And I'm like, well, weren't you the one who pulled out before the hearing to decide whether you could fight, you know, Triple G or not? You know, I'm like, how could you say that he's afraid to fight you when you're the one who pulled out of the contest before the hearing? (laughs) So so to me, it was like one of them oxymoronic statements. I'm like, how can you call somebody a coward when you were the one who pulled out? It made no sense to me. Well, I have to reiterate my statements last time on the show. You know, I said that uh, I believe he was—he had like 600 nanograms. That was totally mistaken on my part. I'm, it was 0.6 nanograms, and it was—it went down to 0.2 nanograms. And I think the same—you know—back-to-back the test, you know, it was 0.6, 0.2. Still, it's—it it could have been tainted meat. I don't know. Nobody really knows. But the fact is. That you know, when all this started happening, you had several fighters that tested positive for the same thing, same thing, and and a lot, uh, another uh, you know another uh, performance performance enhancing drug that was very similar to clenbuterol, and that is you got Lucas Brown who lost his belt for it, Francisco Vargas who got you know who who, who got fined and, and had all kinds of you know problems about it, Eric Morales. Uh, Luis Neri, they all got, except for Neri, I think the WC gave him a pass, but then after he went back and beat Yamanaka, uh, I think they, they said they're not going to they're gonna strip him or the WBA totally, all kinds of stuff because he was overweight. But that's the thing. You know, this guy said he ate bad mate, Luis Neri. He goes, he goes overseas. He, he, he gets the belt, you know, in a destructive knockout. The fight after to basically clear your name, you show up overweight. That tells you sometimes, you know what? It might not have been bad hamburgers. This this guy's trying to you know cut weight. There's a reason for this. You know, there's a reason that you know you don't have it in your system. You know, certain things happen in later fights. 
just like regular steroids, you know, which is performance you know, enhanced. You know, I wouldn't call clenbuterol a performance enhancing drug, but when you got one of the guy, a guy that that rose up the ranks and is a middleweight, and he's a huge middleweight against Triple G. The guy was a he was he was big and strong man, and he he was right up there with Triple G. And Triple G is a you know a very big middleweight too. And then you, you find something like this in a system, it makes you wonder. And, you know, I feel bad if the, the poor guy did eat some bad meat. But here is what, you know, I'm talking about. You are one of the most popular fighters in the world right now. You're, t- you're pretty much semi-filling the void that Floyd Mayweather left when he left the game. And you're not watching what you eat. You're sitting there eating, you know, street vendors, uh, you know, hamburgers or street tacos in, in Mexico. You're just going around Mexico eating whatever you see. I mean that right there tell that's irresponsible as a champion. If you know that there's an epidemic in your country, why the hell are you eating any damn meat from there? You should have been in the states, you know, you know, monitoring very closely even what you ate here. But you're preparing, you're pre- you know, you're preparing for the fight of your life, and you're sitting there, you know, eating bad meat in Mexico, and just oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, it's not okay. You knew that you have so many haters out there, Canelo. That if you were to pop you know, a bad test, they were going to be on you like white on rice, and that's exactly what happened. And you gave them more incentive by pulling out of the fight. You admitted guilt in a lot of people's eyes. That's the problem. I, I don't blame you know, tainted meat. I blame Canelo, and that's the reason. It could have been tainted meat, and that's the sad thing. But the fact is that Canelo knew if he ever messed up like that, the the you know the repercussions are are out of this world, and it's and it's showing right now. He may not come back from this. You know he's getting a lot of criticism. He's already had a lot of haters, and you're just giving them more fire by pulling out. And you started the fire by eating tainted meat. You should have watched what you were eating. You shouldn't even have been training in Mexico for this fight. You know the you know the repercussions of of the tainted meat. You know how bad it is down there. And then you did it anyway. I can't feel bad for him, Rufus. Well, for me, what's bizarre is that if it's a well-known fact that the food and drug standards in Mexico are not like America, and that if you eat so much as a steak, you know, it's going to come up like um, eating poppy seed buns and testing positive for opioids or some bullshit, you know, that being the multimillionaire fighter that you are, you ought to have your own personal chefs with, um, you know, food being brought in, you know, from America or whatever, having food prepared for you. They could have taken the special precautions and everything else. And I don't know if it's, if I blame, if it really was a food situation, mind you, because I don't know if I believe in that completely. But um, it's reckless on Golden Boy's part for not ensuring a proper training camp with proper nutrition. But it's also his fault as well, if that really is the case, that it was bad meat. Because there's no excuse for that shit when it's a well-known problem. But considering how large and how, well, I'm just going to say it, physically superior that he is in comparison from where he started out from, I don't believe that's bad meat. That is purposely injecting yourself and ingesting, um, you know, performance-enhancing drugs. 
Well, and you also got to notice that you know a lot of the guys that I mentioned before, you some of these guys had problems making weight after the fact. Eric Morales, Luis Neri. You know, I give Vargas credit. I don't think he's ever had any major weight problems. But, you know, some of these guys have. So we don't know. We do not know at all. And if the guy is just moving up to middleweight and he is trying to cut weight that bad, I mean, come on. What else is he hiding? You know, we don't know right now. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna sit there and I'm not going to, you know, point figures. I'm not going to judge the guy. I done told you that it could have been me, and I, I still stand by that, you know, to in, in, to an extent. But I think he's really hurting himself by pulling himself out. Now, if he, you know, stood before the commission and they recommended, it's a different story. It's not your fault. Well, like I said, it, it made no sense in the fact that this hearing was upcoming April 10th, I believe the date was. They could have told him yes or no. He decided to opt out, and yet he says, oh, well, he's afraid to fight me. It's still the fight I want. And I'm like, if that was really the case, you would have stood before the commission and would have took it on the chin, regardless whether it was positive or negative for you. And your insistence that you have always fought clean, you would have stood before that commission and would have told them that you wouldn't have pulled out. So I think he knows he was guilty, and I think uh, Golden Boy probably figured, hey, don't admit anything, but pull out of the fight, and, you know, boxing memories are short, and people will forgive you um, eventually. Well, I think I it was some sort of a PR I, I think it was a PR move to try to clean up his image because everybody said, oh, well, you're a drug cheat. You don't deserve the fight, you know, and everything. So he's like, oh, well, I'll back out. You know, but I think this is the wrong way to have done it. If he literally wasn't a drug cheat, I would, I know if it was me, I would have stood before the commission and fought for it. So to me, it doesn't make sense. It does not make sense, especially when this would have been one of the biggest paydays of your career. I agree to an extent, but you do have to remember, you know, who was at the helm, you know, of Canelo, and that is Golden Boy, and that is a guy that had some racy photos about himself, you know, on all over the internet about what six, eight years ago, and a lot of people forget that he never said a word about that. He went straight into rehab, has had many, you know, battles with drugs. I'm not judging for that. Things happen. Bad things happen to good people. But the pictures that come out, a lot of guys would have been destroyed about this, especially if they would have came out about it. I don't think Oscar even said anything about it. He just let it kind of work its way out. And then he ended up being, you know, one of the top three promoters in the boxing business. Actually, yeah, I'd say top two. Um, you know, it, it's sometimes it's good just to be quiet about a situation. And if anybody knows that, it is, it is Oscar De La Hoya. And it seems like Canelo kind of took that route. I'm not saying anything more. I'm just going to just drop out. Um, but to me, uh, I would if I was you know, running Canelo's uh, team, I would say, hey, if we're innocent, we want to be you know put in the chair. We want to you know have our trial. Just like if you if you murdered somebody, you know, and you know you didn't do this, you know, you get in trial. You know, even though if your lawyer says don't take the stand, they'll try to incriminate, incriminate you and all this, if you know you're innocent, you've got nothing to hide. 
Get on the stand. Let him grill you. And make and prove to the jury that you are innocent and get away with you know, get out of those charges and continue with your career. And innocent people, in my opinion, they they let the law work for themselves. They take it to court, they fight, they fight, they fight. And if you're a professional boxer, you know about fighting. Especially if you're an innocent man. You fight for it. And he didn't fight for it. He just dropped out of the fight. Um no wonder a lot of people are criticizing him, in my opinion, because he gave them so much ammunition. Oh, no. You know, and what's going to be funny is that in 20, 30 years, you know, when they have the HBO um, Legendary Knights resurfaces, they're going to be talking about this whole scenario retrospectively. And it's going to be interesting to see how he does um, rebuild his image after all of this. I mean, it took it took Roberto Duran almost the rest of his entire career to make people forgive him for the no moss. So it's going to be interesting to see if Canelo Alvarez can make people forgive him and forget, you know, you know the whole beef situation. And, you know, the the person I feel bad for. You know, is not Canelo at all. He kind of made this bet. He needs to lay in it. You know, if he's going to pull out of the fight, would everybody's calling him a cheat and not defend himself in court and and basically just have his day? And uh, you know, I can't really feel for the guy, but I do feel for Triple G. I mean, this guy has been getting ready for a fight. You know, a huge fight in May, Cinco de Mayo. He's waiting, you know, for an opportunity of redemption in a fight that I thought he won. A lot of people thought he won. Um, yeah, you, know, you got to feel for him. He put his heart and soul out. He don't have many wars left in him. He does. I, he I, I think um, anybody who's in the business or anybody who understands athletics at all knows that time is everything, and you can't get back time. And with guys of his style, and it was already noticeable when he fought Danny Jacobs that he was already slowing down. Um. It's the worst thing you could ever do to a fighter is, you know, get them all hyped up and make them waste a training camp completely. It's kind of like when Kalichko was supposed to rematch Fury, and then that fight disappeared. And, you know, he was so inactive by the time he fought Anthony Joshua that the thought kind of came into mind if he had fought Anthony Joshua about a year before Klitschko probably would have regained the championship easily. You know, yeah. who knows? Well, the main question right now with Triple G, you know, he he apparently is going to fight again. He is fighting. I mean, apparently going to fight May fifth. Um, he's not backing down. He wants to defend his title. You got to give him some credit. Uh, they're throwing a lot of names out there. Then the main name I'm hearing from inside guy, inside sources is, of course, Spike O'Sullivan. Um, it's looking like that's probably going to happen. Um, if you're paying money for that fight, it's a disgrace. Well, I will HBO say HBO needs to. I will up. say, and and this, they case. need to drop the pay per view and put it on HBO. They need to be good to their fans, Rufus. They have to. Um, well, know, this Canelo thing is outrageous, and you can't make well, a person pay sixty nine ninety five for Spike O'Sullivan. He's he's an exciting guy, but he ain't that exciting. Not seventy bucks. Well, well here's the the way I understand it. Because I did talk to some people who are in the know, 
about everything, and they told me that, yes, Spike O'Sullivan is going to be the guy. So all these other talks of who would you like to see Triple G fight, you know, forget about it. It is Spike O'Sullivan, whether you like it or not. Um, you know, and for me, considering everything Triple G has gone through all this bullshit, I would say he deserves a break. You know, and there's nothing really wrong with having guys like Gary Spike O'Sullivan and championship fights. Um, and quite frankly, I'm glad for Spike because I love stories of guys winning the lottery when they never expect it. And he has gotten the ticket to the biggest ballroom in the world. And he's going to get the biggest payday of his entire career. And, you know, I like Spike, but it's going to, the, the betting odds on the fight are going to be on how long it lasts. So, you know, I think it's going to be good for maybe four or five rounds, you know, maybe six. Um, you know, should, should it be should it be, should, should it be a pay-per-view fight? No. I'll agree with you there. Um, so it'll probably be picked up by HBO. It probably will be. Well, it's, a, it's yeah. an HBO pay-per-view, I believe. And basically what they need to do, if they want to you know, get back in that stature and show the fans that they're a fan-friendly network like they used to be, you know, they would drop the pay-per-view. They would put it on HBO. They would get huge numbers just because of the style matchup and, and the fact that a lot of people want to see Triple G. It don't matter if it's Canelo. It don't matter who it is. Uh, but one thing about Spike O'Sullivan and, and Triple G, they're not Mexican. It's Cinco de Mayo. It needs to make a little sense to me. You're going to have a Russian and an Irishman fighting on Cinco de Mayo. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, they could dig out Antonio Margarito and put him in there with Triple G, probably die in the ring, but they would probably get more viewers because it's a Mexican fighter, man. Um, uh, But the only Mexican options they have are limited. I mean, you've got Zordo Ramirez, who's huge. You know, he's pretty much 180, 185 pounds in the ring. He'd be a lot bigger than Triple G. Uh, Triple G has a month to prepare for this. You can't prepare for a guy like, you know, Zerto Ramirez, a champion. And and, I th- and he, moving up and fighting for the belt, you know, you'd have to talk to the sanctioning body. You'd have to make sure that he could, they could do that. They'd probably give him a pass. But that's too little, too much for a month. You know, just like Demetrius Andre, I love Demetrius. And my man that's on right now, Andre Rosier, loves him too. <laughs> but you can't, you know, switch from a, a guy that comes, you know, that a boxer like Canelo, you know, planning for, for months about, you know, on this guy, a guy you already fought, you, you know, you got a game plan. Uh, you can't change from that to a guy that is going to be six inches taller than you with a wingspan like Larry Holmes. You know, it takes you a, more than a month to prepare for that. As much as I think Andre, you know, you know, can, should deserve this fight, in my opinion. Even Charlo, you know, Charlo could, des- you know, he deserves this fight. All these guys deserve, you know, you know, Triple G right now. They do. Zerto deserves him, even though he's a he's a younger champion. He deserves him more than Spike O'Sullivan. These guys held belts around their waist, and Spike O'Sullivan never has. Spike O'Sullivan is the easiest out of all these guys. I think the other guys deserve it, but I think from a stylistic, you know, match, it's. Well, I think from. Um, it, it, well, I think it's from. The right it's pick. not. 
Well, it's not just a stylistic thing. I think it's also an entertainment value thing. Because whether we like it or not, like I said, relevancy is everything. And the last time we saw Spike, he pulled up an upset, you know, that he wasn't expected to win. And unlike Demetrius Andrade, you know, and other people out there, he's going to come just straightforward and try to make it into a nice little brawl. Um, whereas these other guys, they're going to more or less try to just dance. You know, not to be mean to them or anything, but that's what they do. They dance. And you cannot do that. You cannot do that when you're trying to salvage, you know. I mean, boxing has had such a bad reputation because of this Canelo fallout that you need to have a nice little, you know, um, brawl, even if it is an outclassed fighter versus one of the most dangerous men in the business. That makes more sense than having a Demetrius Andretti in there because everybody would start booing. No no offense, because nobody wants to see a guy box. Not really. Man, I'll tell you what, one one person, you know, in the Triple G lottery that is probably pissed off right now is a guy named Danny Jacobs sitting in Brooklyn. But I'll tell you what, I can really get the story because his trainer, Andre Rizzi, is on the show right now, is Danny pissed off that they're looking for an opponent for Triple G, and he's got a, got a fight scheduled, you know, can't, can't you know go back on the contract. All these guys are putting their name in the hat. He has to be quiet, and you know he don't want to. What What's going on with Danny? How's he thinking? How's he feeling about the Triple G lottery? Well, for sure, uh, before anything else, good evening. My fire pit brothers, <laughs> Chaplin, Rufus, how's everybody feeling today? Man, we're doing great, my man. How, how's things? First, let's, let's. How's everything at the gym? How's the guys doing? Everybody getting prepared for the upcoming fights? I think everybody in your lineup pretty much has a fight. Maybe Sergey, because nobody wants Sergey. <laughs> right. Well, we we we've been pretty busy. Um, I was trying I was trying to get out of the gym at uh, about eight fifty so I could be uh, on the line with you guys just as we started up the show. But um, we had some really good work going on, so we ran over time as we usually do. And um, as soon as I got out of there, I made the call. And um, we're working hard. Danny is working his butt off. Um, he has an assignment that he has to take care of on April 28th. And he would, of course, love to be fighting Triple G on May 5th. But that can't happen because he's obligated uh, through contract to meet uh, Salak on the 28th. So we're doing what we have to do. Uh, Danny said that he's going to crush this guy because he's so upset about all the things that are going on. And he's going to take it out on Majek. So I feel bad for the young man. I really do. Man, well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> There's a lot of people putting their name in the hat. You know, I know Danny Jacobs would be all over if he didn't have a fight schedule. But he's being a professional, has to do what he has to do. Um, but who do you want to fight? And don't say Andre, because I know you're going to say. <laughs> Besides Andre, who do you want to see fight Triple G and why? 
Well, honestly, I'd like I'd like to see you have two mandatory. Um, you have Charlo and you have the technician. So I would like to see one of the two mandatories get a shot at it. Uh, but I didn't hear the Charlo um, exercise any um, wish or will to be in the ring with Triple G. Uh, he, this was the perfect time to say, listen, I want that guy right now. Let me get him. Yeah, but I we mean, haven't heard that. I've heard it. And the thing um, is, this is open season. If you want to be a champion, if you want to be a star right now, this is the time to do it. This is, you know, the, a major opportunity. This is, you know, your shining moment. You know, and whoever's not saying you're right, whoever's not talking about it and not, you know, but but I, I give Charlo credit. He has a fight scheduled. You know, he does. But you know what? The fight, uh, it, it's it's too close to May 5th. I mean, but things can happen. I mean, I'm sure that Step Aside Money can make, if, if your promoter wants to fight that bad, it could happen. Even in Danny's right. case. And even in Danny's right. case. But, but. You know, it's also bad business. You know, with the networks and have you know have you you know. Yes. It's an HBO fight. Yes, it is. Do you think mm-hmm. that there would be a possibility? And I think Spike O'Sullivan's already done, to be honest with you. But do you think there would yeah, be a too. possibility that Danny Jacobs, you know, you Eddie Hearn could get would get together, and do you think that HBO would take? You know, uh, and do you think Selecki would take some kind of step aside? Mind, do you think HBO would agree to have Danny Jacobs fight Triple G again May fifth? No, no, I don't think so at this time because we're so we're so tight into the actual promotion. Mm-hmm. This this whole menagerie is a clusterfuck. It really is, um, just from the fact of uh, these positive tests with steroids coming up. The whole the whole picture has been tarnished. I mean, literally tarnished. And it's so hard to rebuild it. I mean, honestly, if it was me and I was training Triple G, I would tell him, I said, listen, you know, don't worry about it. We're not going to fight right now. We're going to reset and we'll get ready for another fight. But they're putting everything into this last-minute situation where he was preparing for a fight with Canelo and and honestly, if you bring one of the one of the more experienced guys in, and and this is not what he was expecting or or even preparing for, it could be a bad situation. And and not to say we don't even know his mindset. This young man might be like really in a bad place. I'm losing money. Um, I'm, the the fight is is um, being uh, stopped because. This young man might have been cheating. There's a million things that could be going through his head right now. It's oh, a really, really bad picture. You know he's losing money. He ain't getting Canelo paid for Spike O'Sullivan. You know that shit. Thank you. Thank you. And see, well, the other thing we have to realize is that for for this fight to not take place, for Canelo, is nowhere near as bad as it is for Triple G. Canelo's seen the mountaintop. He's, well, he was in there with Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, he's but it's over with. I got to disagree with you, Andre. This guy, he's seen Floyd Mayweather early in his career. Floyd Mayweather retired a year ago, not even a year ago, 
and Triple G was supposed to, or uh, Canelo was supposed to take that void, and he has. And it seems like he was. You know, they were pitting him, you know, up to basically be where Floyd Mayweather left off. And now he he tests dirty. Um, he pulls out of a fight when he should have fought for you know for his career. And he's basically, in a lot of people's eyes, admitting guilt by doing that. I think, to be honest with you, Canelo has it a lot rougher because his career could be possibly over. And Triple G still has, you know, he, Triple G got more fans out of this. You know, a lot of people, are, you know, are, are, are sympathizing for him. Um, but I don't feel in any way that he's, you know, um, that he's worse off than Canelo. There's no way. No, what I'm saying is this. Financially. Listen to what I'm saying to you, Captain. Financially, even though this situation took place, you could go into Mexico right now, and I'm telling you that his fans are still there. Right, now. I, I'm reading it online, and there's still fans who are like, "Oh no, they, it was a, you know he's just a bad knee." You gonna tell yeah. me a whole nation is not thinking the same way about him? They love him. They, oh, they do. And they do uh, love him. He can fill bull rings in Tijuana, man. <laughs> but yeah, you know what? You might not want to fill a bull ring because there's cows near, so you don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You don't. You don't want to be anywhere near the bulls. <laughs> you don't want to be nowhere near that stuff, man. Nowhere near that stuff. But, but uh, uh, you know. Well, for Triple G, um, he. He's not the money maker that Canelo is. Without without Canelo, Triple G can't make any money from a pay per view. No one is saying, "Oh, he's fighting a pay per view now." He's going to be just fighting on HBO. But we don't know that. So, We're not for sure. And I mean, Rufus, have you heard anything about HBO? You know, going from pay per view to regular network for Spike O'Sullivan. I have not heard anything, but to be honest with you, considering it is such a drop in name value, I can't imagine them still going through with the pay-per-view. They can't. They lose money. And and one thing HBO is not trying to do is lose money. Now, one way that they might, they could possibly pull it off, is that they put Billy Joe Saunders in there, and not for the U.S. money. But for the UK money, right? But BJ is saying that he hurt himself and uh, he's healing, and and so that and, and he's that's still commit he's still committed to fighting Martin Murray anyway. Right, yeah, but exactly. if there's a perfect situation for step aside money, you know Martin Murray would take it in a heartbeat. Probably. Not, yeah. not saying he's not a warrior, but I'm just saying I, I imagine that step aside money would be quite lucrative. Yeah, but it 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 wouldn't behoove them to do it. Yeah, yeah. It and, and no one wants to see him going in there injured anyway. Yeah. Right, exactly, and that's why I'm saying it's such a. But it's such you a know, bad I, situation. Right, I, I, I really do wish Billy Joe Saunders would be my pick, and for the simple fact that I think Billy Joe Saunders right now is a very, very, very strong. You know, uh, he's a strong pick to me to be the, the the guy that upset Canelo, and the reason being is you know the speed, you know the the style, you know the awkwardness. I mean, look at what he did to Lemieux. I'm not saying Lemieux ain't even close to you know Triple G, but I think he would really perplex him, and I think maybe Triple G would knock him out late. 
But it depends on what Triple G shows up. You can't tell. Well, you can't tell. I mean, just like Andre said, you can't tell uh, this mental anguish that he's going through. And you can tell by all the interviews that was leading up to when he first tested positive. You know, it's like Triple G changed. And even you know he the WBC was saying, oh, we we didn't realize, you know, we didn't really know this Triple G. It, it shocks us that this Triple G is acting this way, but it shocks them, you know, when it's when a guy that finds out his opponent tests positive for you know for for a banned substance, you know, uh, goes crazy. But it don't shock them that their fighter tested positive for a banned substance. Are you kidding me? Exactly. The WBC exactly. is is sheltering Canelo too much, in my opinion. You know, they should have a little bit of – we're standing by our guy. You know, he'll be proven in court. But they just didn't say, you know, all out, all it was definitely beef. We know. What Did you make him the damn hamburger, uh, Mauricio Suleiman? Did you, did, did you cook him the steak? You know? Did you put your head up the cow's ass to make sure everything was cool, but you mistakenly, you know, forgot to do one? Really? How do you know that, bro? I mean, that's what gets me. You don't know. Nobody knows. He doesn't have definitive no. proof that you know it, that it wasn't, but he is—he's assuming it, and it's—he's being biased to his fighter. But of course, you know it, it's a Mexican, or, Mexican organization. I mean, what do you expect? But uh, Triple G to me felt like he had everybody against him, even though Canelo tested positive. He had you know the sanctioning body, you know, pretty much having you know Canelo's back in this, and pretty much turned his back on him. And I would be upset too. Mhm. Exactly. I mean, how are you going to say you tested positive for a banned substance, but oh, it's it's bad meat. All the guys in Mexico they're testing positive for bad meat. I know. What? Well, how do you know? You don't know. And that's what gets me. Sanctioning bodies they need to be they need to quit being so damn political. Do your job. Sanction the fight. Offer the belt. Shut up. That's just it. shut the hell up. And that's what he needed to do. Suleiman is a mouthpiece for, you know, Canelo, of course, being a Mexican fighter. But you got to draw the line somewhere. You know, you got to let it be proven in court. You don't know. You have not a clue. And, and, and you know what? You have to be unbiased because right now you're showing, you're showing. It's like, it's like Canelo's uh, Mauricio's son or something. It's like he's all over it. Hey, KTFO Boxing, at KTFO Boxing. Andre, you might you might not like what this guy's going to say, but I'm going I'm to put it out there because we don't, you know, we don't take no prisoners. And I got, no. I got something to say here in a little bit regarding the Charlos, and I think everybody wants to listen to it. Because Houston Boxing, at Houston Boxing, you know, on Twitter, they, uh, they're, they're being a little hard on us about that. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that here in a little bit. But KTFO. Andre Rosier said Danny Jacobs is too deep in the promotion with that BS fight with Selecki. This is the biggest and most lucrative fight for Jacobs out there. He needs to cancel and take that rematch. If I had the power to do it, I would, but I don't have the power to do it. My name is not AR Promotions. My name is Andre Rosier, trainer. <laughs> and Eddie, Eddie, Eddie Hearn, that, is, that would be up to him. And, and all, I mean, exactly. and you're you're the coach, you know. They they got to give you a little, they got to mess with you a little bit, but they got to cut you some slack too. You know, you are the coach. You can't control what his people does. Eddie Hearn is the guy in the driver's seat in this. Um, it's totally up to him. So if you if you really think that that should happen, 
KTFO Boxing. You know, send Eddie Hearn a tweet, blast Eddie Hearn out there, tell him, make this fight. Because to be honest with you, who wouldn't want to see Danny Jacobs versus Canelo, too, rather than Selecki? I mean, come on. Exactly. Listen, we, we, Danny is not afraid of anyone. If we could make that fight, we would. But it's that is something that we can only state. We can't even really lay the laws down on it. Right. Because it had it had to be agreed upon by many powers that be. But we fight. We fight. We are ready to fight, and we don't run from anyone. Well, the fact is that Spike O'Sullivan is pretty much done. He's already signed his contract. They're waiting on Triple G to sign. You know, they'll probably end up doing that. The only way that they would not do that is if HBO wants to hold on to the pay-per-view. They want to roll the dice on Cinco de Mayo and put in another opponent that might attract more viewers. And right now, there's not many out there. No. No, there's not. I mean, all all due respect to Andre, Andre is not going to pull in millions of pay-per-views. You know, Zoro Ramirez is not going to pull in millions of pay-per-views. He would be more lucrative, though, than Andre, given the fact that, you know, his Mexican heritage on Cinco de Mayo, you know, oh, that could play into fact, but that would be a nightmare for G, for Triple G on a month's notice to train for a champion of a higher weight division who's a huge, huge fighter. Um, that is not going to happen at all. Um, no, like I said, the only way, would, the only other option would be to drag Antonio Margarito out of you know, obscurity and get him murdered in the ring. <laughs> That would be the only one that worked. <laughs> exactly. So, so really, literally, all signs, people will be happy. <laughs> all signs point <laughs> to Spike O'Sullivan on regular HBO. Exactly. Exactly. Or if Billy Joe Saunders actually goes to a healer and gets his hand healed up and says, oh, hallelujah, I'm feeling much better, let's fight. <laughs> exactly. And chances are that won't happen either. So, you know, Triple G's in a bad spot here. He's really wanting to prove himself, um, you know, to the Canelo fans that, you know, thought the Canelo won the fight. You know, he he has a right. lot to prove. And you're not going to prove that, in my opinion, by fighting Spike O'Sullivan. Uh, you're not going to prove a whole lot. It will be a fun fight. You know, Spike O'Sullivan is a hell of a warrior. He's he's not going to back down whatsoever. But that's going to be his downfall against a guy like Triple G. Um, the fans are the ones that really got screwed this fight. Big time, and, uh, you know, and and you know, Charlo's and they're not going to fight him. I mean, they got fights scheduled too. It just don't make sense. You're this is the upper echelon of boxing. You know, you're one of the best fighters in the world. You know, you're training for another best fighter in the world. You know, you can't just pull out and train for a certain guy a month's notice and get no. in there with you know you can't. Uh, no, speaking of Charlo's, I I said some things last time I was on. And uh, Houston Boxing, if anything, at ATG Radio shouldn't be mentioned to Charlo Nam after that stunt he that pulled last time, or they pulled last time. They didn't pull nothing. I pulled it. It was my fault. Um, you know, I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it. I apologize to uh, Jamel and Jamal, both Charlos, and uh, you know, hopefully they uh, accept my apology. It was uh, it, it was wrong, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna put it out there. And I ashamed that I did it. I'm not ashamed of doing anything. Should I have done it? No. And, you know, for that, I do apologize. I'll be the better man. Um, I was upset about things that they were saying. But you know what? What I did doesn't make up for that. So I was I was wrong. Major apologies. 
takes a lot of well, hard Cap, to say Captain, that. You, you know, that makes you that makes you a better man than most. Um, I thought that guy. For, I thought that. I, I got. I got. I got excited. Of, of a moment, uh, some certain things shouldn't happen, and and we as as the uh, cast of ATG Radio. And we talk boxing, and we talk boxing with boxers. Um, one should be slighted and say, well, listen, I have no time for radio. Radio and and media is what is going to make you a superstar. Well, along with I should have just said, my bad, ring. man. You know, it's, it's disrespectful that you shouldn't, you know, you don't want to come on radio. But, you know, I, I shouldn't have been like that. So if he don't want to come on radio, that's his own choice. But it just it gets me when I got guys like Lennox Lewis on the show, Bernard Hopkins on the show, you know, when I got guys like Costa Zoo, <laughs> Danny Jacobs comes on, you know, guys like Sergey Kovalev, you know, guys like Andre Ward, you know, these guys have hit the mountaintop where the Charles are not yet, but they possibly may be. But these guys have, you know, been there. And they still, right. you know, want to talk because all we are, we, we love the game. We just want to show our support to these champions. And we done, we did it with, with the Charlos back in the day. Hell, we had them singing with each other on the show. It was a great show, and they had a great time. And you know, I just want we try to make fighters normal on our show. A lot of guys, a lot of fighters, a lot of people can't talk to fighters or talk to the, you know, any any major you know personality in boxing, you know, without getting jumped by security. You know, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Right. And exactly. if we talk to these guys, we try to get them to be personable so they'd have more of a following. And, and like Lennox Lewis. Lennox Lewis, you know, a lot of people thought before he wasn't a very personable guy, you know, when he was a champion. Um, he, he didn't always, you know, he wasn't a media, you know, really media-friendly guy all the time. But after his career, you know, when we had him on, he was so down to earth. You're like, damn, he's a great guy. You know, we oh, just without want a the, doubt. We just want the listeners to get a different aspect of the fighters and really get more personal. You know, and, and maybe even call in and get a chance to talk to the fighter. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And you know, it's just guy don't want to do radio. It's just prerogative. I shouldn't have done what I did, but that's why we do this so we can get a personal view of the fighters. I'm sorry, and I'm dropping it. Okay, good. It's done. <laughs> it's done. Now let's let, let, let's get back to what we do. Back at ATG Road, half-ass apology. You had no right to be mad. You called the guy on his phone and gave his number up to internet. Well, you know what? I did, and like I said, I'm sorry. What do you do? Huh? Me bake him a cake? Let me send him a, I'm sorry, you know, some clown to show up at his doorstep, you know, and say I'm sorry and sing him a tune? Come on. There's a, lot, mean, really? there's a lot of sensitive people in the world. <laughs> you know, the, the, Twitter, the Twitterverse is some of the nicest you know, people on the face of the planet. <laughs> Have you, you noticed the sarcasm there? <laughs> that apology wasn't sincere now that you're sitting there justifying being a dickhole. Uh, you know what? I'm not justifying being a dickhole. I said I was sorry. I shouldn't have done it, and we're dropping it. But I am saying the reason that we have these guys on is to make it more personal. 
you know, to make him more of a champion. And really, and you know TKO City, Houston Boxing, everybody, that certain champions are not looked up at to the you know to the boxing public and the mainstream fans as personable champions, as as guys they really you know are rooting for. And you know, two of them guys happen to be the Charlo brothers. They're champions. They're from the same city. They're twins. That is a that that is a PR. You know, that that is one of the, some of the best PR you can get. That is the most marketable kind of fighter you can get, and they're not selling. So that's not my nope. fault. We're trying to. I'm trying to. You know, make the guy. make these guys sellable. I've known them since they were kids. I was rooting for them. I want them to be successful in life. But don't be an asshole just because you got a belt around your waist. You know that's that's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And if I had a chance to make them better and make the public view them in a different light and, and more, you know, down to earth, which we try to do, that's what I was going for. And I should, but I shouldn't have did it that way. But that's the only way I could have done it because he, you know, the guy don't want to do radio. So I'm sorry. I tried, and, but I am sorry. The end of it's not, you know, a bullshit apology. It's not a half-ass apology. It really is from the bottom of my heart because I really did mess up. These guys are warriors. They get in the ring. They risk their lives. I'm a piece of shit because I, you know, did what I did. So, really, really, I'm Enough sorry. Said. Enough said. Enough said, <laughs> Captain. That's well done. I mean, that's it. But Rufus. We got some good tweets coming out. We got a lot of activity on Twitter. Would you like to read some? Well, you know, I've been reading the Twitter and everything else. Somebody asked where You've been where am I at? You know, they were Chad Chug, you know, asked where'd Rufus go. I'm still here. You know, I was letting Doss do his apology, you know, and uh you know, I congratulate Doss for doing that. It is the right thing to do. And quite frankly, I knew we screwed up. It wasn't just Michael Doss. I screwed up. I was haggling it on. You know, everybody was haggling it on. You know, it shouldn't have been done, period. Um, So I also apologize myself for my own part in it. Um, And I I I apologize also. You know, and when you have, like, big – when you have big personalities like all of us and we're so passionate about the game, you know, and you have, like, a tough week – and everything, you know. Sometimes certain things can set you off and some things don't. You know, you just don't expect it. And that was just one of them moments. It just was a heat of the moment thing. And it was, you know, sophomoric, juvenile, you know. And we do apologize. And we and hope that our fans, on and, and be our fans and, and listeners will give us the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, we'll make up for it. You know, and, and extend a hand to, to, to the Charlos. I'll throw this out there, and if they ever do call in, in which they know they've been on here before, they know where we're at every Monday and Wednesday, most of the times, unless we're taking a break, which, you know, we're humans. We've got to take breaks sometimes. i got families. i got a family. Rufus has got a family. You know, Andre's got a family. He's got a big family. He's got a bunch of fighters. <laughs> He's got a major family. So it happens, but because we're just human beings, you know, I wish I could do this, you know, for a living all the time, but unfortunately I can't. You know, this this show doesn't pay my bills, it doesn't pay Rufus's bills, nor does it pay Andre's. But we just do this because we love the game and we want to give you guys an insight of the game that we love and and share that with you. And maybe I shared something I shouldn't have, and I did, of course I did. But uh, if they call in, 
both of them at the same time. I will apologize like a man, straight up. And when I see them next time, if they want to knock me out, I'll take that because I deserve it. But I will apologize, and I'll be calling Andre and getting Danny down there. But anyway, <laughs> I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. But I do apologize. But anyway, Science Again, at Science Again Box, as soon as I tune into ATG Radio, I instantly hear, you guess it, Deontay Wilder hate. Is is this all you guys do is hate on Wilder? He is your representative of your country. Well, Science Again, for one, if you heard what I was saying, I wasn't hating on I just named this guy one of the top three heavyweights in the world. Okay? I'm not going to put him above Tyson Fury because Tyson Fury beat the champion. Okay? Not only did he beat the champion, he beat the champion in his home country. A guy that reigned for 10 years. He schooled him. And he, but he had some problems. He had some personal problems, drug problems, or whatever. You know, it, it's, it, it don't matter what problems. He took off. He's coming back. I'm not ready to put him up there against a guy that beat the champion. Also, Anthony Joshua also beat the champion, who was ready to fight that night. And I'm telling you, if he, it would have been probably a minute more of the the beating he was putting or the punches he was putting on uh, Joshua, we'd be talking about Vladimir Klitschko right now, because he would be the champion. He was hungry. That was a hell of a swan song, but he was fighting a hell of a guy in front of him. And the fact that the way that Anthony Joshua came back, never being past the seventh round, to knock Vladimir Klitschko out in 11 rounds was amazing. So you got two guys that beat the champion, one guy that didn't. Of course, I'm going to put those guys at the very top, and I'll put Water at number three. I think that is not disrespectful. It is not hate whatsoever. It's real. It's fact. And it's, it's ironic that he said you're saying he's a representative of your country. You actually have Lennox Lewis in your Twitter picture. So it, 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 it's beyond me how – but anyway, it's ironic. That's all I'm saying. So, Rufus, you want to spread some more Twitter gospel. Well, I replied to that man earlier when the tweet first came up, and I told him, you know, in my personal opinion, if you take Tyson Fury out of the equation, you know, he is the number two heavyweight in the world. And stylistically, and all other factors, his size, his power, his ferocity, he is dangerous to anybody, including Anthony Joshua. Because when you got these big guys, all it takes is one shot, you know, to change everything. That's it. Um, so, so it isn't hate in any way, shape, or form. Um, do I think he can beat Anthony Joshua? I think he would have a tougher time with Anthony Joshua than he would if he fought Tyson Fury, because I think he would give Tyson Fury more problems than people would assume because you have two unorthodox guys essentially fighting each other. It takes a very unorthodox guy to beat an orthodox guy in Tyson Fury, um, which is why I rate him so high. Now, whether he could beat Anthony Joshua or not, who's a classic textbook boxer, I don't know. Um, I think it would be along the lines of like a Joe Lewis versus a Max Bear type situation. But um, nonetheless, uh, as far as the other Twitter tweets going out there, um, I got to give a shout out to um, what was the man's name? Um, 
While you're thinking about that real quick, I'm going to just go ahead and throw this out there. David Price, I give you mad props. You are a warrior. You faced the beast. You hurt him. You gave him a tough fight. You know, you went out on your shield. You got messed up in the end, but you showed true balls, true heart. My man, if if, if being ballsy, you know, you could get belts, he'd be a unified champion. Um, uh, we knocked David Price. We thought this was a joke of a fight. He actually put up a tough fight, and I give you mad props, man, but I'm telling you, uh, I, I still think you should retire, but you did a wonderful job, and I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I feel the it same was, way. Uh, I, this this was a love. This was a really really tough assignment for him, and uh, he gave his best. Whatever he had, we saw it uh, in his last fight, and he should be commended for it because everyone thought he was going to be curled up in like one or two rounds. Yeah, and a lot of people got pissed because. And go ahead, Rufus. What were you, uh, did you remember his name yet? Yeah, it was uh, Sammy Rose said, um, I still love ATG after, uh, you know, you, you gave your apology, Michael Dawes. I wanted to give a shout-out to him and everything else. But as far as David Price and Alexander Povetkin, I'll tell you what. Um, when you had PattyPower.com putting 20-to-1 20 20 odds that the fight wouldn't go 60 seconds, you know David Price damn near won that fight in the third round one punch and he sent Pavekin flying across the ring and I thought to myself if he could only have followed that up we would have been talking about the biggest upset in a long long ass time long time but but as far as I'm concerned it was Buster Davis and Mike Tyson Oh, yeah. Especially heavyweight. Oh, yeah. But, you know, after the fight, you know, I heard so many people say retire. The thing that came up to my mind was, is it any more devastating a loss than his fights with Tony Thompson and um, Christian Hammer? You know, I'm like, no. You know, and the thing with David Price, you got to understand, he was a British and Commonwealth level fighter who was rushed in with a three-time heavyweight title challenger, no matter how old he was. There was this huge universal disparity, and quite honestly, he's never been able to grow as a fighter because he's always been put in these tough fights. He he needs to go back like Huey Fury's going to do with Sam Sexton, going back to the British and Commonwealth level and springboard from there. And I would love to see him fight guys like Nick Webb and David Allen, you know, some of these up-and-coming heavyweights in Britain. And I think he might shine if he does that. Well, David Price right now is a good fight for like a guy like Daniel Dubois, which we won't see, um, and everybody knows why. Um, and, and the up and coming guys, but you know that would be put him as a gatekeeper, and I don't think David Price deserves to be a gatekeeper. You know he, he had so many good fights, <clears throat> he has so much talent. I just really would be sad to see him do that. Uh, <clears throat> he doesn't deserve it, in my opinion. Um, now the fact is, dude, if he didn't take this step, this was actually a very brilliant move, in my opinion, by Eddie Hearn. He's throwing, he threw all everything on the table, because if if David Price would have won. 
it would have been, like, like we said, one of the biggest fights, probably the biggest upset in UK boxing history. David Price definitely would be probably fighting Joshua or Tyson Fury. He would have a major, major fight, millions of dollars. It would have changed his career and his life. Um, if, if not, if he wouldn't have fight, if he wouldn't have fought Alexander Povekian, it's like the heavyweight division is, is would be passing him by. This was his only shot. He had an opportunity, and he took it, and his promoter put it in front of him. And it was the right move. You know, don't don't say all oh, your promoters thrown into the wolves. This was a perfect opportunity for David Price. Is it, this was a, a gamble for his career? He took it, and if he didn't take it, the heavyweight division would have skyrocketed past him. This it, and he also showed, you know, that he could hurt a guy like Povetkin. But I disagree, Rufus. I think this was a, a much worse than Christian Hammer. This was much worse than Tony Thompson because the fact is he fought a guy that was a, a great, great amateur, you know, a gold medalist, you know, champion, a guy that's a much better fighter than you know Tony Thompson or Hammer, and a guy that really knows how to put his punches together and hurt somebody. So this was much more devastating. It was much you know worse, and it, of course it is because BoxingScene.com is reporting that he you know got his nose broke. Uh, 30 stitches in his mouth and 12 on his eyes. Uh, I don't think Tony Thompson did that. Wow. No, no, no. But at the same time, like I said, he demonstrated that there's a potentiality with him still. Because in that third round, he got knocked on his ass. He got up and damn near knocked the man out. The most avoided heavyweight in the world. You know, so... For me, I, I'm not going to write him off just yet, because any guy who can do that when Povetkin hasn't looked hurt since Kalichko, you know, it says speaks a lot of volumes, considering everybody said that he didn't have a snowball's chance in hell of even remotely looking good against Alexander Povetkin. He damn near pulled the upset off. I don't think you know, he, close, he, just, yeah. he just didn't follow up with his attack when he should have. Well, the thing is, if this was the first time he took a beating like this, I would be like, continue. But every loss, every single loss has been brutal. And you only have so many in you. And it's a time that either you, you get a trainer in your corner that is a, you know, can teach you to be a defensive wizard, which is going to be very hard at this point in his career, or, in my opinion, you give it up. Because well, he's, he's like, going to get really like knocked out, and he's going to end up like Jerry Corey. And I still stand by that. Even though Corey went deep, he's also been stopped early. You know. Well, you know, with me, like I said, I, we tend to forget just how young these guys actually are, though. David Price, I think, is only like, what, 28, 29 years old or so, just like Tyson Fury. So right. it's kind of interesting to write somebody off at the age of 28 or 29 years old when the fact of the matter is, like I said, before he fought Tony Thompson, he was fighting Matt Skelton, like a 45-year-old heavyweight journeyman and everything else. I was like, he never was given the chance to really develop. He was so pushed so fast. And I'm like, if he can only take a step back to that British and Commonwealth level, he has a very strong chance of being, you know, a very dominant um, British and Commonwealth champion again if he wanted it. 
Well, and I think if he's one, if he's going to continue boxing, he needs to take the step back and move on from that point. Yeah, but I've seen twenty-nine-year-old men that look like they're sixty-nine. And well, the only and time I, I really ever seen that was in the really lighter weight guys, like somebody like Wilfred Benitez, who, in my opinion, was the greatest boxer I have ever seen, the Bible of boxing. Hmm. And by the time he was twenty-one. He was completely burnt out. Yeah. But then again, this was a guy who was fighting from the time he was a little kid, winning the world championship at 17. Yeah. You know. But getting um, brutally beat, and, and I'm going to throw this out there, and, you know, if he's listening, and, you know, when he comes on, I'm going to mention it to him, that I, that I mention him in there. But first I'm going to mention a guy named, you know, Jaime Garza. Jaime Garza, you know, at the time, I think he was – in his early 20s, maybe mid-20s, he was on top of the world. He was a champion coming in. He was 40-0 and destroying people. I mean, destroying them. And he looked like the real deal. He ended up going up against, you know, uh, Juan Kid Mesa, who's a very gritty, you know, former champion, very tough fighter. He gets blown out in one round by Kid Mesa. His career is over. He ends up winning a couple fights, losing, you know, more than he's winning at the end. And, you know, he he never had that glory again. He was totally, totally changed. And, uh, you know, you also have Reuben Williams. Reuben Williams fought Jeff Lacey for the IBF championship, super middleweight title, gets beaten, loses, what, 29 fights in a row. It happens at Bantamweight. It happens at super middleweight. It happens at heavyweight. And if you know, if anything can make you not want to be a fighter and really age you tremendously, it would be fighting a guy that breaks your nose, gives you 30 stitches in your mouth, and 15 stitches in your head, on your eyes, 12 on your eyes. You know, especially if you already had that kind of beaten, you know, kind of like that. If you were just brutally knocked out every loss that you've had. And then you you get beaten like this, you know that tells you that you're not, you know that you're probably never going to have that that height in your career again, and it's devastating. It's mentally devastating. It's this is a mental game, and if you're you know, if you're blown away like that and your heart is taken, even though you hurt a guy, it don't matter. It's what happened at the end, and you got destroyed. It takes your heart, and I don't think he'll ever be the same. Well, and he has that mentality of getting knocked out, Rufus, and I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse. I mean, you get damage like that, you you keep on taking damage like that, something's going to get knocked loose, and something's going to well, there's always have that David Price. There's always that potentiality, but then again, you know, it was kind of like after the fight was over, you know, and you mentioned Jerry Corey. I know many fighters who had 30 losses or better, but these guys are so articulate, even in old Andrew age. You know, well, like Andrew Hartley, like uh, Marcus Big Tuna Road, um, you know, or you know, Marion Wilson. But but they get blown out so quickly that they don't take the damage, you know, that you really think they do. Because you, you see a guy get blown out like that, you're, you know, yeah, and and you're like, you know, you'd be like, God, a guy like that, hundred losses, you know, he's got to be punchy as hell. Oh no, that man's one of the most articulate people in boxing, right? Yeah, he but you're is. talking about guys that didn't get 
knocked out brutally every time. These guys learn how to go the distance, and that's what I'm saying. David Price needs to learn how to go the distance, even if he loses against a guy like Vivekian. Go the distance at least. Don't take that kind of punishment. There's so but, He but has then more again, holes in his defense than Swiss cheese, man. He needs to learn defense. No, that, that, there's, there's, truth in all of, there's truth in all of that, but, you know, when you get a guy like Corey, a guy like James Toney, a guy like Evander Holyfield, you know, even a guy like Floyd Patterson and stuff like that who woke up one day and couldn't remember his name, you know, they get so used to taking punishment for several rounds. They're always in these great wars. It's the people who go long rounds who end up the most fucked up than the guys who get knocked out quick, like David right. Price. Right. The one-shotters, the one-shotters, believe it or not, I'd, I'd rather see a guy get caught with one shot and that was the end of it than him being one of those life-or-death battles for 12 rounds because that's when you sustain lots of damage. It's almost like Demolition Derby. <laughs> now, now, mind you, now, mind you, David Price took a lot of superficial damage. But then again, I would have rather seen him get knocked out in five rounds by Alexander Povetkin than him going 12 rounds getting brutally blasted. You know, so... It could be always yeah, we, a hell of a lot worse. You mentioned Floyd Patterson. You also got to remember, though, that Floyd did not just get knocked out late. He only got knocked out late like one, twice against Muhammad Ali. You know, he mm-hmm. got knocked out in one round. You know, twice by Sonny Liston and Ingemar Johansson knocked him out in three rounds. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't really you know put you know, say long fights kill fighters or, or damage fighters because this guy you know went a lot of early fights against some major punchers. And uh, got knocked out early, so it's just basically it's just how you get knocked out, in my opinion. It's not the fact that you. you well, that's why in my go, mind, the more possibility of of, of 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 something happening in the ring, but if if it's a continuous you know beating every time you get in the ring, if it's twelve well, rounds or if it's one round, it's still brutal. And especially if if your mentality is gone, you know you're just going to go back in there and get knocked out. It depends on how he can rebound from this mentally, and I don't think he. This is this is devastating. Well, for me, I think mentally he's okay because, quite frankly, I know if I lost devastatingly to a guy like Tony Thompson back to back, you would think at that point in time he would have retired because it would have been mentally too damaging. But the fact that he took tough fight after tough fight after that shows a willingness. His mentality is still there to be a fighter. It's just that he has holes in his game, and like I said, he never grew and developed past a certain stage anyway. He has holes it was in always, the Grand Canyon, Rufus. Oh, yeah, well, but back to the point of guys taking punishment, that's why my mind is always blown about guys like George Chavallo and Randy Tex Cobb and Jake LaMotta where these guys literally were getting their heads beaten off their shoulders. Just and, they're old, and they're old men, and they're still, you know, articulate, clear as a bell. Hell, even Chuck Wepner, the amount of brutal blastings that man ever took, 87 stitches in his face from Sonny Liston, and that man still can speak and still drive his car and everything else. You know, it's unbelievable. George Chevalo, yeah. 
tough as hell. But all these guys had foundations from hell. They they had great foundations. They were big fighters. You know, they had that you know that that foundation under them, and that you know they could absorb it. It's definitely genetic. You know, but then, I, but then again, going back to your point about guys becoming chinny, you know, because of getting knocked out too often, it is true. You know, that's why a lot of times in these boxing gyms you don't see gym wars anymore, because people know that the more damage you take, it often does make people chinnier early on in their pro career. Um, back to Andrew Hartley, you know, Andrew was, has never been a fighter. But let's be honest, he, he was just a weekend warrior type guy who did it for the money. But if you ask Andrew about it, he'll say, you know, five years ago, seven years ago, I could take a punch and get dropped five or six or seven times and keep getting up. He said, I get hit anymore. I get hit once, I go down, and I don't get up anymore. And he said, it's the strangest thing. I don't have no chin at all anymore. You know, well, so it does that, happen. It does happen, but he's—I mean, he's a journeyman. You know, he—he—he he, he goes in there, he gives it, a, tries to get him a tough fight, he loses. You know, you got a guy like David Price. He didn't turn Chenny. He was born Chenny. And the reason I yeah. say that is, he gets annihilated by Tony Thompson twice in a row. He gets you know knocked out by Tepper. But then he again, gets knocked if you out ever by noticed. Hammer, he gets knocked out by Pavecki. Dude, every loss he has is a knockout. Every time he gets touched on but the But if chin. you ever notice, though, the extremely big punchers generally are chinny. And I think oh, it's yeah. because they never really get hit because nobody can survive long enough to ever hit them back, really. Um, somebody like Ernie Shavers, Ernie didn't have the best chin. But he was the hardest puncher in history. Yeah, but he fought guys like um, Quarry too, man. Come on, you know. <laughs> he fought guys I'll like Ken Norton, you know. Oh yeah, <laughs> you, you know. know well, that's yet. another one. Kenny, Kenny hit, could hit like hell, but he hadn't oh, chin either. No, <laughs> you know, it's funny. You know, there's some of them big heavyweights that could really, really give you a, a one shot knockout. They, they didn't take the best of punches. Oh yeah. Oh no. But then you got guys that are smooth boxers that, you know, can go twelve, twenty rounds if they wanted to, that did get knocked out early in their career and, and not many rounds either, and they had they are really in bad shape now, like Terry Norris. Mhm. Yeah. Terry Norris yeah. did not you know, he, he at the end of his career he went nine rounds twice and got knocked out, you know, by Keith Mullins and Lauren Boudouani. But that was the that was the twilight of his career. But you know, then he gets knocked out, you know, by guys like Simon Brown, by guys, you know, and not a lot of damage. I mean, you know, Julian Jackson very just one punch deals. But it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's a genetic thing. You you can't just say a guy yeah. goes deep, and and you know, just because he goes deep and he gets knocked out, it's going to make him more you know susceptible to having health problems. Because right now Terry Norris is, is you know he's, he's he's punchy. He really is. He slurs mm-hmm. and you know he looks great. He looks like he could fight right now. But, you know, uh, unfortunately, the guy does have a slurry. Shane Mosley's like that, too. And Shane Mosley's only mm. been knocked out one time. Right, right. And yeah. and, and literally, I, I haven't seen Shane absorb in, in the spice. I mean, he got caught Vernon maybe Forrest. once or twice here and there. Yeah. But Vernon Forrest, and, and and he got knocked down by Pacquiao. But he took some great 
fighters on. He did take punches, but he was taking punches against some of the greatest fighters, you know, in our day. Yeah, that's true too. What it's, just, it's just almost it's almost like an anomaly with 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 the who, what, where, why, and when of um, sustained punishment and how a body uh, accepts it and 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 relates to it. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, you know, breaking your nose, thirty stitches in your mouth, and twelve on your eyes when you've been knocked out every fight you lost before. It's just not good for business. It's just not good for your business. It's not good for your health. It, it ain't good for business, but then again, you know, Price had been written off so badly that what did you expect to happen Oh, I know. when you have a guy who's essentially unranked fighting the most avoided heavyweight of maybe the last decade? Mm. You know, um, so... I would expect him to get fucked up, you know. But he gave a good account of himself before getting knocked out. But so to me, right. that's what I look at. <laughs> you know? Well, I've got a better, I've got a better question at this point. So now that uh, Povetkin seems to have uh, put himself right back on track, um, where do you think he's going to go now? What, what's next for him? Go ahead, Rufus. Well. Doss is more the expert on Povetkin than I am. But I think he's going to be given a bunch of hush money, step-aside money, for them to make the Wilder versus uh, Joshua fight happen. Um, He may not take it, but then again, I think there's going to be so much money involved in that match That'd be stupid for him not to take it. Well, Alexander Povetkin, like I said before, he's a gold medalist. He, he's, he's, you know, one of the most popular fighters in his country. The guy does fill arenas in, you know, in in Russia, and he's made millions. So a guy like him at 37 years old, I think it's more for glory. I think he's going to go for it. He's going to show the balls, and he's going to fight. And he's gonna he's gonna be a major wrench in the plans of both guys. And uh I I didn't like what I seen with David Price hurting him. I felt that he, he closed very strong. But he if he gets he can get away with guys like, you know, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder hitting him and hurting him. If well, these guys have you hurt, you're done. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> you know, so no, they know how to follow up. The they know how to follow up an attack and keep it going. Unlike David right. Price, they, they do. But Wilder, he was a damn good finisher. But it's how he finishes that could make it. You know, it could make it interesting. You know, for Alexander Rebecca. If if I would fought anybody right now, I'm not saying that one's better than the other. However, I do feel that Anthony Joshua is the champion. But I want to see Povetkin versus Water because I think Water can make it interesting. He could really hurt him and have him almost knocked out, and it'd be one of them kind of fights that, like you know, Maurice Harris and Derek Jefferson back in the day on HBO, Larry Merchant saying Derek Jefferson, I love you. We might be saying Alexander Povetkin, I love you, because this guy could be bumbling all over the ring, almost knocked out, you know, on the verge of death, and come back with a counterpunch and knock out Water. That could happen. That's the kind of fight that Water Povetkin could actually be. And I want to see it. I think it'd be. Phenomenal. I would love to see. I would love to see it, but at the same time, his power has diminished so much 
you know, over the last few fights that I think he was given price. He broke my nose, 30 stitches in mouth. Well, here's the thing. He he went up against a well-chinny guy, I think, to kind of build back his image that he is a dangerous knockout artist. And everything. Well, they so, made it look that way. <laughs> yeah, you know that was that was the whole point was to rebuild mm-hmm. this image because everybody written off Pavek and oh well he got busted for the steroids and now you know his power is gone. Well, we're going to match him up against a giant chinny heavyweight and rebuild that image. Well, so I would like to thing. see him fight. I would like to see him fight like uh, maybe it's an unpopular thing, but somebody like to come, you know, and everything. Let's see how that would go. Well, you know, somebody like that, you know, um, Brazil or whatever, you know, to see if he still has it. You know, I would not mind seeing that. And really, to be honest with you, I wouldn't mind seeing Takam find Deontay Wilder. I like that fight. But, you know, Deontay Wilder needs a big fight. Takam probably is not that level right now. He needs to fight one of the top guys. I really I want to see Pavekian. If it looks like Pavekian Joshua will probably end up happening, I think for fan value, I think Wilder and Pavekian could be like fight of the year. Either Wilder knocks him out, or he ha- he's going to have him hurt. Both guys will have each other hurt. I guarantee you. But I think Wilder will either knock him out, or have him on the verge of death and almost knocked out, and then get knocked out himself. Like an Arturo Gotti kind of fight. It would be a war. I want to see this fight bad. And it's unfortunate because, you know, Joshua is more kind of he, – he's smoother. He's more, you know, he's more put together. He, he flows a little bit more. He, th- he fights the right way. He throws the technique. You know, his technique is on par. But, you know, but Deontay Waters not. But he has the craziest power that can make the fight just a dogfight. And that's what we want to see in the heavyweight division is a dogfight. It's just a major, like a war. We just want to see, like we did against Ortiz in water. That's the kind of fights that we need. Well, the question I got is if Wilder fought Pavekin, and let's say he beat Pavekin, would that win be more meaningful than, say, the win – Joshua had over Parker, yes. you know, or anyone yes. else he's defended the title against. And to me, if, if if Wilder fought Pavekin and beat Pavekin, I think that would make him a strong candidate for being the best heavyweight in the world. If Wilder, you, you, you could really argue Pavekin, that case. The only fight that should happen at this time, after Fury gets a couple under him, is. You know, is, is is you know basically Danny Joshua versus uh Deontay Wilder. That has to happen. You know, I'm not saying it has to happen now. You know, it ha- it should happen in my opinion just to unify the belts. I just want to see all four belts on one waist. That's what we ought to mm-hmm. see. We want to have one true champion. But if you're you know looking at you know is it deserved? I don't. I'm not. I'm not quite sure there yet. You know, but if he beats Pazekian. That will it'll make it one and two to me. That would be more lucrative, and that will give, in my opinion, Deontay Water more chance to get a 50-50 fight. Even though you have three belts under one guy's waist and one on the other, you've got to fight against Pavekin, who was the champion, who is a better fighter, in my opinion. You know, all the previous accomplish, accomplishments that he's done, you know, better than Joseph Parker. That's a, definitely a better win than Joseph Parker. 
definitely. I, that is definitely the fight that I would like to see happen other than the main bouts. And this is a very Without winnable question. fight for Deontay Water. Very winnable. Very winnable. It, either, like I said, he knocks – there's no way this fight goes 12. Either he knocks him out with that crazy right hand or – or he gets knocked out in a, you know with a vicious counterpunch. Because one thing about Pavek and the guy is a great counterpuncher, and he can be hurt, but he can be dangerous when he's hurt. And Deontay Wilder would have to slow down and finish him, but he'd have to finish him you know the right way. And uh, can he do it? I mean, there's a lot of questions that would be asked. I was so stoked when this fight was made before, and I was really let down when it was you know when it was canceled. Uh, but the fight needs to happen. That would be great for the heavyweight division, and and let let him you know let uh, uh Joshua fight somebody else like a dominant Brazil, dominant Brazil or like a rematch with him or, or somebody else, you know somebody you know he could fight somebody and Deontay Wilder like Luis Ortiz, Luis Ortiz versus Anthony Joshua, and then Deontay Wilder versus Alexander Povetkin, put it on the same card, put it in England, holy shit, you'll have a hundred thousand people in a damn arena. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I know yeah. the question that I, I have said this a few times to a few of our listeners who they want these big fights to happen. And I know I want the big fights to happen. But I also tell people when you're competing at such a high level, fighting back to back to back top challengers, nobody's going to really live up to that pace. Eventually, somebody's going to lose and lose royally. Because it's too much pressure. You've got to have some breathing room. That's why you've got to have these lesser challengers every now and again. So it probably would make sense to have Wilder fight, you know, Pavekin, and then you have um, Joshua fight some underling, and that can build up the momentum even more for the eventual yeah. clash. Luis Ortiz and Anthony Joshua would be very interesting because it would give more of a gauge on where Anthony Joshua is, and it would also give a gauge definitely on where Deontay Wilder is. You know, Even though you know, I was picking Bavekian back a couple of years ago to destroy Wilder, and I still stand by that at that point. You know, when Pavekian was just executing guys in the ring and just really running through them like a hot knife through butter, you know, he had more, you know, to him a couple of years ago. I think that he, he kind of faltered a little bit, and I'm not putting on that, you know, I'm not putting that on Deontay Wilder. I'm not saying that, you know, he can, you know, beat him now since he's he's washed up, because that's not the case. He's just slowed a little bit, but he showed that he can be hurt. And Deontay Wilder, since I said that, has shown that he has massive power even more than I thought. So that's why I'm, you know, I say either guy can win that fight. I did pick Pizekian back in the day. It would be more brutal. But that's just what I was seeing from both guys. You know, Deontay Water showed me a lot more after that, you know, especially beating Ortiz. And Pavekian showed me that he is susceptible. You know, with this fight with David Price, he did get stunned a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we got the heavyweights down. We got to look in the future. Saturday, three days, guys. Three fucking days. The 7th of April, Hard Rock Hotel Casino, Las Vegas, Nevada. Woo! We got a hell of a damn card, man. I'm gonna start off. Oh, somebody yeah. on somebody on Twitter. You know, uh, I'm not looking at Twitter right now. If you wanna, you know, say his name, I'll throw his name out there after a while. But he asked us Sergio Mora versus Alfredo Angulo. Who are you guys liking that fight? It's an obscure fight right now, but Sergio Mora was a champion, and Angulo was the guy 
that had Laura Pryor, the, you know, the, the worst hurt. It's, it's ironic that he's fighting on the same card. Maybe there's a little something there. Eh, I doubt it. Angulo, in my opinion, is totally shot. Um, I think Mora is on the on the on the backside of his career right now, but he has lost to some very good fighters. One fighter that we know very good, Andre um, Mora, in my opinion, will will beat Angulo. I don't think Angulo has it. It wouldn't shock me if Mora gets a late knockout, maybe seven eight rounds. Uh, I'm kind of going for the decision though. Um, who you guys like in that fight? Quick, Sergio Mora, Rufus. Angolo. What? Ah, Damn, <laughs> miss it up, baby. <laughs> Julian Williams is on the way back from his devastating loss to Charlo. He's fighting a very, very tough guy. And uh, Nathaniel Gallimore, I mean, my goodness. It's going to be – Nathaniel Gallimore has dynamite in them hands. I don't really know who's going to win this fight. It's a pick and fight. I think Gallimore may be able to edge him, but we'll have to see. Uh, who do you guys like? Julian Williams, Nathaniel Gallimore. I'm going to go with Julian because uh, he's going to be Havoc ties. He's going to be wearing a fantastic Havoc uniform, and he doesn't lose in Havoc, so he's going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Rufus. Jayhawk, Nathaniel. Well, I'm not going to go against Andre since there's that endorsement on there. So there you go. <laughs> Big Rufus. Nathaniel Gallimore is on fire right now. This dude, you know, had a guy, Justin Deloach. Everybody was on Justin Deloach. Everybody thought he was going to be a future champion. You know, he goes through Justin Deloach and just schools him. Not only that, he just knocks him out. He just brutalizes him and then knocks him out. He shows, you know, he he showed a lot there. He's getting better. He's getting stronger. He's really punking out J Rock right now on on, on Twitter, on, on on Instagram. He's throwing a lot of jabs towards him. I think he's trying to get in his head. I think it may work. I'm picking. I'm picking Gallimore. Could be wrong, mm-hmm. but I'm picking the Van Gallimore. He has dynamite. So uh, we also got a. Uh, you know the main or the co-main events: Caleb Truax rematching James the Gal in one of the biggest upsets. Speaking of price, if you would have won against Pavekian, probably the number three. If that would have happened, the number three biggest upset in the UK: Caleb Truax beating James the Gal in his home country, snatching the IBF championship from his waist. It's payback time, baby. Las Vegas, Nevada. Who do you guys like? The big grudge match. The rematch, the redemption, Caleb Truex, James Legal. Who you guys got? I think honestly, Caleb, we got you know our saying. When you become a champion, you become like twenty five, thirty five percent better. I think Truex is gonna be a road dog in this one and he's gonna rough up the gall and the gall has been showing me so many inconsistencies and and his um and his boxing lately that I'm gonna say that Truex is gonna win the fight. Wow. Rufus. Well, you know, Andre? <laughs> I'm not gonna go against Andre, you know, and a lot of it is that back in the day we used to have Caleb Truex on our show all the time. And I'm not gonna root against home team. I ain't going to. So there you go. Hmm. I love uh, Caleb Truex. 
I, I, I love the guy. He's a great person. He's a very good ambassador to boxing. Um, but James DeGal, definitely, you could tell there was a difference there in that fight. Had a lot of tough fights. He had a lot of, uh, you know, he wasn't right in that fight to me. James DeGal wins in. I think he's going to win the fight. I hate the root against T-Rex, but I think DeGal is going to bring it back to the U.K. But now, All right. the main event of the evening, ladies and gentlemen, Aristotle Laura defending is I think it, it, uh, WBA super 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 duper. Are you? Are we going to go super or super duper? Or just do super. <laughs> WBA super duper, fantastic. You know, just wonderful belt, fabulous. The fabulous WBA super waterweight championship, the IBO championship. IBF championship, all on the line. Unification time. Jared Hurd, Aristotle Laura, what do you guys think? I think that Laura will be boxing Hurd in circles. And although Hurd has shown us the propensity to come on strong in the later rounds, this is a different monster he's in the ring with, and not saying monster in the in the fact of oh my God he's he's this uh, wrecking ball, but he's he's sharp, elusive boxing personified, and I just find it hard to to see Jared Hurd putting together enough enough offense to even cause. Laura to be uncomfortable. Knockout decision. What do you got? This decision. Rufus. Airsline Laura. Jerry. I, I never thought that I would agree with Andre Rozier so much. I, I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> Andre does his stuff, man. Uh, I'm going to throw a wrench. It's wrench time again. I like Jared Herb by knockout. And let, let me say why. Aristotle Laura is a great boxer. Has that, you know, that, that smooth style, you know, smoother than butter. You know, the guy is just, you know, boxing personified. But the fact is, he's 34 years old. You've got to remember the 400 amateur fights on top of that. You know, the, all, all the, uh, you know, the, uh, the accolades that he had in the amateurs. It's just uh, 34 years old, man. A lot of these Cuban fighters, you know, they, they get old. They get over, old overnight. And I think that his team kind of felt that, you know, it might be that time because the way he's been matched. Maybe his team is promoter somebody. You know, his whole 2017 was Yuri Foreman, a guy that was shot to hell and back and back again and then back. And then Terrell Gaucher. Terrell Gaucher was, you know, Olympian, but he wasn't, you know, the greatest guy. He didn't have the greatest, you know, career coming up. He he hasn't fought anybody. He had some talent, but they wasn't great wins at all. And that's all he did. He had a lot of inactivity. He fought Vanos Martirosian in twenty sixteen. His the best fight that he's had since Canelo has been Vanos Martirosian. Canelo has been twenty fourteen. It's been pushing four years. And since then, he's fought Ishe Smith, Delvin Rodriguez, Jan Zavik, who was a damn, you know, 140-pounder, <laughs> Donna's Martyr Rosen, like I mentioned before, Yuri Foreman, and Terrell Gaucher. 
if you're a champion, that's not a championship roster right there. That's a bunch of beatable guys, and you did what you had to do. Um, and then you're going up against a champion that is probably going to be 10 pounds bigger than you on fight night, who is a monster. This dude is one of the biggest, you know, 154 pounders I've ever seen. He's huge. This dude is like is. 175 is in the ring, man. And he, he, I think he can take Airstein Lara's punishment. I think he's going to make it a, a dog fight like Angulo did. And I think that he's going to finally get through. He's going to get outclassed for four or five rounds. Everybody's going to be laughing at him. You know, easy win for you know for Laura. It's it's go time, champion. And and still, they're going to be screaming and new because he's going to be. You know, they, they, everybody's going to think he's going to grab that belt from Jared Hurd. I'll tell you what, Jared Hurd's a champion for a reason because he does not stop. He continues to beat the drum and beat the drum until the drum breaks. And I think he's going to keep on going at him like a caveman, and he's going to end up clubbing him with that club. I'm telling you, I think a major upset's about to happen, and I think Jared Hurd is about to be a unified champion. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, an interesting point, and you do back it with some uh, basic facts, but and skills the fact beat will. Laura's a southpaw, <laughs> and Jared Hurd has a massive right hand. Yeah. Well, I just, I just honestly, it, I, there you go, Rufus. We're hot tonight together, my brother. <laughs> That's <laughs> I just the can't big see question. it happening. I cannot see it happening. Honestly, I can't. Well, I, I don't ever see him putting together any major offense where Laura's uncomfortable. And literally, if Laura starts to uh, starts to de- decay him with punches that swell him up and and start because we 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 haven't seen that happen but I know it's going to happen because he's going to be scoring repeatedly. It's not like Jarrett can get out of the uh firing line of these shots that he's going to be getting hit with. Austin Trout gave Jamal Charlo a, a very close fight, a very tough fight. You know, a, a year a year and some change later, he goes up against Jared Hurd and just gives him the business. He, he's scoring him at his spurts. But once in a while, Jared Hurd would land something, and everybody would be like, oh, shit. And then all of a sudden, Austin Trout would continue doing what he's doing. But he kept on getting them little moments, and then, boom, it happens. I think we're going to see the same thing happening. But, guys, it's been a great show. I, hopefully we got, you know... We got some people, you know, liking us again. We were hated there for a while. Things happen. I'm sorry. But I, I think we're back on track. I look forward to next week. I think we have a great show. Rufus is great having you on. Definitely great having you on, Andre. Um, you got some final thoughts? It was a pleasure, as it always is. And, you know, it's all about boxing with us at ATG. The fire pit is always burning. And we're looking forward to discussing what takes place this weekend. I'm thinking that uh, the 7th is going to be a great night of junior middleweight boxing. And I'm looking forward to uh, us talking about who are the, who are the winners and who, would, who will be conquering in the next phase of the junior middleweight class. Absolutely. 